Digital Drift, episode 58, recorded Saturday 26th of September 2014. Fast and Furious 6. So how's the life of a retired international criminal? I need your help, Dom. Last week, a team of highly coordinated drivers took down a military convoy. This most recent job graduated them to a whole new level. You're gonna help me catch the team responsible. Why is that how This was taken a week ago. He's messing with your head. Glad he's dead, though. I need to know for sure. Then I'm going with you. Equipment's way better than that trash in Rio. Way better. So now we work for the Hulk? Things changed. Target's Owen Shaw, former major in the SAS Spec Ops soldier. You help us get Letty, we'll get you, Shaw. But we need full pardons all the way around. And cars. Make sure they're fast. We talk of vehicular warfare. We've never seen this before. You believe in ghosts? Okay, Neil, you'll like this. Furious 6. I liked 5. Not too keen on 4. Liked 3 a hell of a lot. Um, Not too keen on 2. Liked 1. I love 6. Yeah, I thought you would. I really fucking love (laughs) 6. So much. Folks, I haven't been able to... I wanted to keep this a secret, but... (laughs) You um, nan and nerd me. Before you just go see six, folks. If you haven't seen it yet, it's really good. Even if you've not seen any of the previous ones, but it definitely helps if you've seen some of them. And if you've seen all of them, then suddenly it will feel, like I say, like the Avengers. And I don't use that term lightly. And I've been trying to be au fait with it the whole time. But but six hit us like a sledgehammer last night. We were floored by it. And we really weren't expecting it. That's a good thing. Yeah. That is a good thing. Because it, you weren't expecting it, you got even more joy out of it. It made us both incredibly sad and incredibly happy at the same time, which is unusual for a film at all, let alone a film from a series that we pretty much abandoned around about two. Mm. So um, thank you, Neil, for like <laughs> helping along with this process and, uh, and encouraging us along the way. And... Um, I'm really glad, really glad I did this podcast series because it meant that we got to really think about these as we went along. Um, I mean, if, if, if you're listening now and you haven't seen it, go see it and then come back because super yeah. spoilers, you really don't want to have this spoiled. Okay, everyone back? Everyone's seen it? Good. Right. Um, this is the one that felt like the Avengers. It was glossy and it had that, that sense of like sort of bringing all the elements back in. It had momentum and it went boom, boom, boom. And it just like 
pushed through. It had the balance between humor and drama just right so that when the drama hit, you were really engaged, but then it eased you with the humor so that you were just, you know, getting through it. It's the performance of Paul Walker's life, and it's just right for his send-off. I don't know what happens in Seven, but this is good enough to be his last film and for him to be able to look back uh, at the, the last few seconds of his life and, gone, and go, I had a good run. Um, that's not to say that throughout the whole thing, he, he you know, he, he, it's, it's like a, an exceptional performance. It's just that the few times he's actually called upon to act and to really feel um, pressure and conflicted and to, to feel, I want to devote my life to this woman and this baby. And it doesn't really matter whether I'm rich or poor. This is the life I want. And I've got to be responsible for these things that I've done. And I care about the, these people and I, I can't just leave them without my help. I've got just his face when he's given the information. I really didn't expect that from him, that level of intensity, but at the same time, it's a quiet, slow burn. He's not over egging the pudding on that. He's not doing that. Tom Cruise, you know, where Tom Cruise likes super intense all the time. I had you followed, Tom. You had me followed. It's it's more like, um, I suppose, uh, Brad Pitt when he holds it in. Mm. I suppose is the best way of putting it. it. It's painful to watch him at times because it you, you can see it's coursing through him. And watching the behind-the-scenes stuff, if... It goes, it's got a cumulative effect. If you watch it backwards, which we did, it goes from being really engaged in it and then being a massive family and this being just like their, their lives to going backwards to four. And it's like, yeah, kind of, I, I, I like being back in this seat. So basically, if you watch it forwards, they have engaged in real life in a way that the family that we see on screen engage, which means that there is a metatextual element to this film where they care about each other so much on screen. And we know that that's what they're really feeling about each other behind the scenes, which made every scene with Walker in it and diesel or Walker and uh, Tyrese Tyrese or Walker and um, Brewster just heartaching because while characters while Han and um, Giselle are taken from them at the end you're watching and you know that Brian's going to be taken from them in one way or another that it's that that something that wasn't originally designed for this film has suddenly gone in there. Now that's going to be different for people who saw this before Paul Walker died but for us we had a very special and unusual way of seeing it and we engaged all over the course of a few days suddenly. Um, and while we weren't really feeling wistful about it through one or two or four or even really five, suddenly with six, it really hit home. It does in six. It was it was a little bit of a hard watch for me. Um, yeah. I saw this in the cinema when it came out and I loved it. I really do. Yeah. Uh, but this time watching through and, and knowing the events that transpired, it is sad. Because while you know Han and Giselle are gone, they're not gone. The actors are still there. You know, Gaga that's going on to play Wonder Woman. Uh, but Paul Walker's gone. Not Brian, Paul Walker has gone. And, and gone at a fairly young age as well. And that is really, really sad. Because I think this is a film where it does click 
support all of them. They have off screen. They are this family. You, you know this by uh, the reaction that both Tyrese, uh, Ludacris, and Vin Diesel had, and even Michelle Rodriguez had to to Paul Walker's death. Yeah, they, these people were devastated. This wasn't this wasn't just the loss of a friend. This was a loss of a family member to them. They were all devastated. Yeah, he has uh, he had one child um, as well. Appropriately enough, um, I'm just trying to work out whether yeah he and uh, Rebecca Soteros, a one-time girlfriend, have a daughter named Meadow Walker, uh, who lived with her mother in Hawaii for 13 years and then moved to California to live with Walker in 2011. So basically, she was left behind on that, and it's it it can't not touch the film. It, it touches your perception of the film. The one that's really going to be hard to watch will be Seven. Because yeah. I know the first thing that is going to pop up in that screen is going to be memory of Paul Walker, and that's going to be a gut punch. Yeah. I think what got me was, and it's very, very early on in the film, um, Brian says something along the lines of, you, you don't really appreciate what you have until it gets taken away from you. And I think I started crying around then, and didn't really stop completely at all. Yeah. It is awkward because, you, like you said, you, you guys are coming into this after the, the tragic event. So, yeah, it, it, the, some of the lines, you just sit there and go, oh, wow, Jesus, you know, they didn't know. You don't know what you got until someone takes it away. But, again, that is to me the whole point of what these have come to be about and it's to do with the fact that life does not stick to the plan and things happen that you weren't expecting and you have to adapt to them and it's like you say it becomes this sort of metatextual thing in in retrospective and it's isn't that what art is supposed to be yeah. It makes you think of things that even the artist didn't necessarily want to say that that um, may not necessarily even have existed at that time. It's like the whole thing about looking back on Lord of the Rings and seeing um, uh, synchronicity with nuclear power that wasn't even in existence when it was written, but it fits. Yeah. And we're saying art here about a Fast and Furious film. <laughs> Well, it is. It's, it is something which was created by a set of people in order to evoke, evoke an, emotion. an emotional response. Yeah. And from listening to um, Justin Lin, he really didn't want to just um, uh, put it together for the hell of it. He, it was always it had to be for a reason. So there's there's definitely it's not just let's keep churning these out, at least for the uh, creators. I mean, I'm sure it is for the money men, but uh, for the creators, they're not just approaching this in a, let's just keep iterating on this over and over again. Why? Um, the flashback intro is a great way of sort of bringing everyone up to, excuse the pun, speed. <laughs> uh, and they've done it several times in the uh, the film so far. It kind of reminds me of uh, Iron Man 3 as well. In sort of the way at the end of Iron Man 3, it sort of shows you what's happened in the film. It's a great way to sort of unify the the, the series and to show you what's important. And uh, it also reminds you where you've seen the characters you're about to see again. Don't 
Money's the motivation, money's the conversation. You on vacation, we getting paid, so we on vacation. I did it for the fam. It's whatever we had to do, it's just who I am. Yeah, it's the life I chose. Gunshots in the dark, one eye closed. And we got it cooking like a one eye stove. You can catch me kissing my girl with both eyes closed. Yeah, perfecting my passion, thanks for asking. Couldn't slow down, so we had to crash it. You use plastic, we bout cash. I see some people ahead that we gon' pass, yeah. I never feared death but dying. I only fear never trying. I am whatever I am. Only God can judge me now. One shot, everything rides on tonight. Even if I've got three strikes, I'ma go for it. This moment. Be the same ones that I doubt with Put it all out on the line with If you're looking for me, you can find wit In a new car or the crown with My new bra does a fine chick In the weather squad, I'm down with Ain't no way around it What you say, tell me what you say Working hard, repping for my dogs Do this every day Taking off, looking out for all Making sure we ball like the mob All you do is call, catch you if you fall Young Khalifa I never fear death or dying I only fear never trying Judge me now One shot, everything rides on tonight Even if I've got three strikes I'ma go for it This moment, we own it I ride a to be play with me Cause it can get dangerous See, I ride a people I ride with This moment, we own it It's the biggest day of my life We got big guns Graduated from knives, it's the day in a life, and I'm ready to ride. Got the spirit, I'm feeling like a kill inside. Oh, financial outbreak, I'm free, but I ain't out yet. Ride with the plug, so I'm close to the outlet. At the red light rim, sitting offset. I look better on your girl than uh, outfit. Stuck to the plan. Always said that we would stand up, never ran. We the famine, loyalty never change up. Been down since day one, look at where we came from. Jumping out on anybody who try to say something. One thing about it, got a problem, I got the same one. Money rolls, we fold. Plenty clubs, we close. Follow the same code. Never turn our backs, our cars don't even lose control. One shot, everything rides on tonight. Even if I got three strikes, I'ma go for it. Feels like it picks off where it left off, but it didn't. We are strange enough a couple of months later. Yeah, at least eight months later. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, As I said, a pregnant woman is a, or a small child is a very handy way to show passage of time. It's yeah. an interesting one if you're actually going to consider the time frame, really, because um, yeah. if in 2001 Fast and the Furious happened, then five years later Fast and Furious happened before Tokyo Drift, uh, and then Fast and Furious leads directly on to five, which only eight months later leads on to six. That means that they're still in like 2007, 2008. Something like that, because this technically leads on to Tokyo Drift. Yeah, which well, then leads on to Tokyo, way through Tokyo, Drift. Tokyo Drift, and then that's going to directly lead on to Seven. So mm-hmm. they've been left behind in the dirt, and um, they they make Avengers references in this film. Obviously, Three of it's them. informed upon by uh, uh, the uh, of Avengers movie in terms of style and in terms of you know energy, which it really capitalized on. Um, what are the three references, Neil? Go for it. He calls him. Basically, it's about Cobb, isn't it? They call it's him. It's all about Hobbs. Uh, Hobbs. I swear they say Cobb in this film. It's Hobbs. Um, they call him Samoan Thor. Yep. Which I did like. Uh, they call him the Hulk. Yep. What's the other one? The British uh, police guy calls him Captain America. In America. Yeah. So he's all. Th- he's three Avengers all at once. <laughs> My favourite is still Samoan Thor. He's not even called that. It's on Tesha's phone when he rings them. Um, I'm going to go ahead and assume that uh, their Avengers movie came out a lot earlier because Marvel had their shit together more. So, yeah. (laughs) Or they're just comic book Yeah, maybe they're all into comic books and it's not just that uh, the movies have become, like, they've made the characters household names if they weren't before. But, yeah. Uh, You know, anything's possible. Maybe the music... That was popular in 2001 wasn't popular until 2006 in the Fast and the Furious <laughs> world, and actually all of those crappy fashions from the turn of the century um, they were behind on, or something like that. I don't know. I, th- I think we can just agree this is taking place in some sort of parallel it's universe. It's a parallel universe, where you know, where, where, where physics are a little bit different as well. But they have an Avengers. Um, yes. Also, you say maybe they're comic book geeks. Justin Lin patently is. I mean, look totally. at Tokyo Drift. They have a Hulk car. Oh, Neil, yes. have you seen the episode of Community Modern Warfare? No. It's the paintball one. I have not seen Direct- any episode of Community. <laughs> directed by Justin Lin. That was the one that made us suddenly love Community. If you see one episode, make it Modern Warfare. If you okay, see I- no others, it's 22 minutes of your life and you'll love every moment. Just because it's just in Lynn alone, I think I will go take there a look. Also, in this crazy parallel universe, in British vending machines, you get Round Trees Randoms, you get Crunchy Bars, you get Toffee Crisps and Butterfingers. And apparently our police are very gun-happy. Yeah, they just go. They just shoot vending machines. They're, they're bullet-operated. Although I do like the fact that the the standard police car is still the Vauxhall Astra. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yes, the shit kicked out of it. I, I did love, oh, I have to admit, though, um, Brian's line about this is the worst, or was it? Is it's it, the worst um, city in the world the worst to, try city to, in commit the world a to commit a crime in. They've got cameras everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> And also, the other thing was the um, about the handgun bullet. Handguns being illegal in the United Kingdom, very easy to track down who bought this yeah, one. That's attention to detail. Thank you. Um, so yeah, from the from the uh, intro just after the, all the flashbacks, we see that money doesn't buy happiness, and it leads on from the themes uh, introduced at the end of five that everyone's pretty much the same as they were before. They've just got more stuff, and um, it's, it's it's definitely certain that Brian and Mia would have been uh, you know blissfully happy uh, wherever they'd been if they'd been in the the barrio. They'd still be they'd have this little piece of happiness and warmth, and this recurring theme seems to be 
it's not really about your money or your situation so much as the people you surround yourself with. And that's very hard to argue against. So basically, losing a car to find out the measure of man is worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, uh, when uh, Hobbes confronts them, there's a very specific line that t- turns up because of uh, Letty, and that's um, Don says, make this family whole again, which is uh, a wonderful kind of... Um, way of summing up what's important to them. One of the remits of the film was, you know, go big or go home. And they actually managed to do both. They managed to get the biggest Fast and Furious so far with incredible stunts and action. And then they went home. And it was exactly what they were after all along. And this is why these films are so... I, I really wish Justin Lin would direct a Transformers film. And I really wish... There's hope. There's hope. Would, would, would really wish Chris Morgan would write a Transformers film because it has everything that Transformers fans want anyway, plus everything for people who also have souls. And all of those Transformers fans with souls, they get double. So there's really no reason to keep Michael Bay directing these things over and over again, to keep Aaron Cooper writing these things over and over again. This is what makes me laugh. Million-dollar franchise like Transformers. No one likes it. Seriously, we all admitted that no one likes it. You get a a franchise that is meant to be, you said it in the first place, sort sort of brainless fun, develops over the course of these films Mm. a massive sentimental heart to it. Almost making fun of the brainless fun with their their token look the girl is shaking their booty in London moment and it's just, oh um, again quick brief version on that about this that 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 bit made me roll because yeah. simply it's like look at all these pretty girls in these pretty cars yeah if you real life it's a car park next to a Tesco and no one looks like that it's and they're all driving Novas <laughs> do you know who that who's actually going to be at that that car park meetup Neil from the Inbetweeners. He'd be standing yes. there smoking a fag, staring into an engine, going, yeah, it's pretty good, that one. That's basically <laughs> what an actual car meetup's like. You tell, show me one car meetup in England where all those girls are there dancing who haven't been paid to stand there in their pants dancing. Max power events do not count. Yeah. And that guy driving on, on two wheels, fuck off. But again, this is it's basically it's presenting you with the world of the Fast and the Furious uh, back from you know from two, circa two thousand and one for a brief moment, and it's like let's just go back here for a bit, for so we can have a good race. Uh, that race again informs on the drama. It's not just about the horrible um, veneer of the thing. It's not just about you know tits and titty titty strutty strutty, as uh, Michael Bay would say. It's about characters, and it's about it is about Dom and Letty reconnecting with each other. Yeah, Letty in this instance. And this is before this film came out. The whole subtext of that Letty has lost her memory and has now ended up going over to the other side, but Dom cannot let her go and he won't turn his back on her and he's with her to the end of the tracks. It's the Winter Soldier. Mm. It's, a, it's, it's almost like they watched the Avengers. They were like, okay, they're probably going to do Winter Soldier next. Let's get in there first and use that storyline. Although it's a common one and... I've seen it done quite a few times, and when it's done poorly, it is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Easier can be a shitty soap opera trope, but for some reason it kind of worked here. It does work quite well. I mean, principally to begin with, I thought she was just faking so that she wouldn't get found out, and I thought she was going deep, deep cover. But uh, it took me a while to go, oh my God, she really doesn't remember Dom. <laughs> I think the point where she shoots Dom is the giveaway. <laughs> well, no, I thought the, the fact that he uses the bullet to then track her, I thought she was sending him a message. 
But uh, it's it's the fact. Send a letter for Christ's sake. <laughs> Just to send me a text. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though, there's um, there's two things specifically that made this not um, uh, like the classic amnesia trope for me, mm-hmm. um, which was the uh, after the car race between Letty and Dom, which is amazing, by the way, because they're not racing, they're dancing. Yeah, and it, it you tango, said it's like a tango. Yeah amazing i loved that scene so much there's some moments where they just they weave together and they're almost in complete perfect synchronicity and then they'll do something that's opposing to each other's movement and it just everything works so well but then drift exactly but then when they're in um the uh, on the waste ground talking afterwards basically what you would normally expect to see in the at that that point is him grab her and kiss her and that would bring all of her memories back (laughs) But that's it's true. I'm not you Dom. Straight. That's not Dom. And he, he, the fact that he basically uh, gives her the information that she needs, that he still loves her, that he still believes in her, that he knows more about her than is immediately apparent, and then he just leaves that with her and lets her walk away and lets her come to those conclusions on her own. Which this, comes to what something she says later on to Brian. Nobody makes yes. me do anything I don't want yeah. to do. I love that as a way of her defining her character. Mm. And there were people who said this about um, the, the line in Amazing Spider-Man 2 when Gwen says, this is not on you, this was my choice. That... To say that that is an excuse to then get the heroine to do something dangerous and self-sacrificial in the name of narrative undermines the whole point of what that line means to to me Mm. to have a a female character say very clearly no my decision i chose to do this and have it fit with her character if she says that and then goes and does something that's completely out of character and, and and really doesn't work then i can kind of understand why people would have an issue with that but I think the certainly the way Letty delivers it, she, and she's absolutely right. No bugger can ever make that woman do anything she didn't want to do. Um, but the other thing is the fact that she does not magically get all her memories back at the end. When he yeah. says to her, does any of this feel familiar? And she says, no, but it does feel like home. Yeah, she's still rebuilding. That's mm. the, uh, the important yeah, part. Yeah, because that's, that's the thing. If you have a head trauma-induced um, uh, amnesia, you kind of have to build it all back up again. It doesn't suddenly all spring back to life. Or it might never do. Yeah. So I'm going to ask this now. It's a little bit late. So leading into the film, I assume you saw the post credit sequence in, in five. Yeah. Yes. Was, did you see that thing going, oh, let's do that? Did you, just, did you worry? No, uh, I knew Letty was in six because I'd seen a bit of six uh, earlier. So um, that actually reassured me because I thought four was so dour and miserable. I didn't want Letty to be dead. So knowing Letty was still alive, I was like, okay, so that's kind of a comic booky way of bringing her back. But I'm glad she is back. I felt that her absence from the series uh, up to, you know, her absence from four definitely hurt it. Because I, I know when I saw that uh, the scene and, and everything, and we're talking about oh, where, with my friend who's also a huge fan of this, and we, it was the one bit that we worried about because it's like, oh, bringing a character back from the dead. It's, it's like, you, you see that go bad more times than you see it go right. Yeah, it's been so happy. This is one of the times where you go, no, this is how you do it. This is yeah. one of the best examples, I think, of how you do it. Yeah. 
again, very um, very bucky in the way it, it uh, uh, presents somebody who has, in a way, still died. That mm. part of there is part of Letty that is gone forever that may never be able to come back. And um, the important thing is that that she gets the chance of a life mm. because it seems like she hasn't really had that. And same for Dom, really. They both yeah. get their redemption and, and ch- chance of, if not, there's a point where Dom says that freedom, uh, running ain't freedom, which is a really great way of sort of, uh, of maturing that idea because th- at the beginning it's like, he, he said, I live my life 10 seconds at a time. That's not really a mature way of moving through life. He has to anchor himself to a family to really live for the future and to not just I mean, basically, if you only live your life 10 seconds at a time, you pretty much have nothing to live for. You've only got the moment. So now he's got a future and a past and a a present. He he gets one of those rare things, which is an actual Mm. second chance, a legitimate second chance. Not a, not a, not a, I've got money. I now have a chance. It's like, no, I have the woman I love. I have my home, which Mm. he does by the end of this. I have a new family. And the clean slate start of, uh, yeah. of, of being pardoned. And, and Letty does too, is, is my point about the fact that she comes back for this mm. one. I think a big part of it for me is that um, when she's interacting with everybody, including um, Shaw, it becomes obvious that there is a great big blank piece in her mind. It's not that her... Um, it's not that she's woken up with no memory and then it's all been filled in with a different life that you know that she's developed a, a different personality and different ways of interacting with people there is there are blanks and she recognizes that there are blanks and i think what draws her back is dom's complete unshakable faith that she is still her no yeah. matter what even if she can't remember even if she sees things differently even if she doesn't love him anymore she's still her and there's also like hints that her her moral compass is still the same. Mm, the, yeah. uh, like in the the tank chase at the end, when Shaw has literally just become a mass murderer, he's mowing. I assume he has because there's no way people in this car survive. Yeah, not everyone. Some got out, but others don't. And she's shouting, "You don't have to do this." Uh, the look of horror That's and disgust her. on her face yeah. as well. That is Letty. That's her line. She absolutely won't kill people for just when she when she doesn't have to. Yeah, exactly. We joked about the fact she shoots Dom. Mm. She shoots him, but she doesn't shoot to kill him. She she shoots him to ward him off. She shoots him sort of in the, the shoulder. Yeah. But specifically, it seems like she got involved with Shaw in a way to... Uh, to, to well... She didn't really have a choice at the time. He basically turned, you know, he turned up to... Uh, he was going to finish the job, wasn't he? She was in hospital, yeah. amnesiac. And then um, when... <laughs> it's like Megatron and Prime at the end of Prime, uh, season one. Mm, and he just says, yes. actually, no, you'll be quite of use to me here because you don't remember who you are. Well, hey. Can we talk about Shaw? Let's talk about Shaw because up till now, there's been nothing villains, if you don't count The the Rock as an antagonist in five. Not um, a villain, just an antagonist, yeah. yeah. And technically, you could call Dom the antagonist in one since technically that's supposed to be Brian's story, even though it's technically Dom's. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, now Shaw, to, to begin with, I was like, oh, God, he's just that smug Bond villain type. And then later on, he began to take on more of a Jokerish, uh, um, slightly Bane-y uh, quality to him. Uh, he's still not electric in the manner of, say, Alan Rickman, but he's definitely more approaching the, the, the di- de- like 
quality diehard villain um, level. Above William Sadler in two, and above Timothy Oliphant in four, and above whoever the fuck was in five, I can't even remember. Just Some below the Gruber like... brothers. And there is actually a brotherly thing going on with him and Statham, actually, isn't there? Get to that then, because that was yeah, exciting, of course. But, um, you know what's really important about him? He's competent. Yeah. He's competent. In fact, he's more than that. He's one step ahead of them most of the time. Yeah. Which actually is really well done. Um, and he, he is... He is a nasty piece of work, and they tell you he's a nasty piece of work because he's. Then they say he's like S S A S or something. So he's, you know, he's basically, mm. he's not to be messed with lightly. He's also, you know, you know, they also imply that because Hobbs been chasing him for so long and can't get him. Yeah, we've seen how capable Hobb is. So if he's more capable than Hobb, you you already Hobbs. inbuilt know that this guy is is going to be a bad, you know, it's going to be a tough act to take down. Well, rather than being introduced posturing, he's introduced with the flip car. So he, he illustrates and demonstrates to you, this is what kind of an, uh, of a danger I can be. Watch this. Do you drive really fast at me? Where'd you go? And then it's, it's, it's a really, um, arresting sequence because you start to wonder after the first few flips, how can they take this down? But he even sums up himself why that had to be when they're talking about um, Dom's team and basically saying, you know, oh, these guys look pathetic. He says, no, don't underestimate them. If they're no good, that if you um, if you diminish them, that puts us at risk. Yeah. And that's what happens when you have a shitty villain. Your heroes look as though everything they're doing is slightly less cool. Yeah, it's um, it's a. I'm going to bring this up and uh, appropriate enough considering the rocks in it. It's something that's very adequate in wrestling as well. Your hero, your face character, is only as good as the heel, as the heel that they go against. So if you give the honky tonk man or the model Rick Martel, they're buggered. You know, it's not going to look good. <laughs> but you give them someone like the Rock when he was heel, who was still charismatic, but you knew how good he was. Mm. Anyone going against that character, against the heel of the Rock, would be look would look, would look good. It's because the same you with... have to have a bad guy who sells it. Well, yeah, a good example here, Star Wars. You have Luke against Darth Vader, who is... The blackest brother in the galaxy. <laughs> but you know what I say? When you say Darth Vader, you, you think of that tall, intimidating figure. But you get... who is Anakin against? He's not really against anyone. Anakin is against his own self-centred sense of inadequacy. Only the Sith deal in absolutes. <laughs> And that does not make for very good visual storytelling. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, uh, the uh, an antagonist is very, very important because there has to be more than if it's if it's some stories can be told where there is just adversity and circumstance to go up against, but really the more interesting ones are based on clashing of ideologies and clashing of personalities. If there is a person standing in your way. That that can be electric and, when done right. And sure is. He is. He is. He is. Uh, there's a joke later on where I think isn't it Terry says uh, Rome says it's like looking at the evil mirror verse. Yeah. And he's right. It is. It's what that family could have been if it was twisted. Brian, when did you do that photo shoot? I'm just kidding, man. <laughs> you know you're the prettiest blonde here. Um, 
There, there doesn't seem to be anywhere near as much love in that group, though. They, they, they joke with each other, but they don't like each other much, and they certainly don't love each other. It seems like Shaw is involved with both that blonde and seemingly with Riley, but um, involved and in love with and sharing a, a love and a respect. And they don't gather together and eat barbecue. No. Well, it's kind of summed up when the, um, the, the guy with the harpoon... The gets guy killed. With the yeah. You know the, yeah. the guy that um Giselle and Riley go in to double team. Yeah. Um it gets oh taken my. out. Well, indeed. We were all thinking it. Anyway, um the uh um Roman Letty says to Shaw after that, the ease with which you let him go and mm. you you're not even mourning his passing, you're just basically saying, Well, he obviously messed up and that's why he's dead um that makes me think that you feel the same way about everybody here that you don't really care about as we are there to serve a purpose that's a weakness in an antagonist for me i actually want to see antagonists who care and get upset when that happens when bill finds out that sophie fatale has been horribly maimed he's filled with sadness that's a much more interesting character for me. That's why I, I know you like him, Neil, but I couldn't really engage with Shaw as much. I, I, I respected his um, uh, precision, the thing that he uh, went for, and I respected the fact that he was definitely thinking one step ahead. He reminded me of Silver in uh, Skyfall as well. Mm. Uh, both he and Joker allow themselves to get captured uh, because it plays in with their plan. But um, the But in terms of like crackling on-screen intensity when actually when he's talking one-on-one to dom and they both got sniper rifles trained on them that was that was a good taut moment it's not heat though but hobbs and dom did have that in terms of that they were really at each other's throats in five yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. So when they team up in this one, there's an uneasiness, but there's that. There's still that sort of sense of I'm not entirely sure I can trust you going on. Yeah, you don't really get that right until the end. Yeah. That's I have nice to moment. say, that, that moment, the way they did the... It, it's forced perspective, but then you're supposed to see that it's forced perspective, and yeah. the, the, the whole point of it is that both of them Neither are of them the can hug guy. each other. Yeah. And neither of them really want to stand towering over the other. No. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're expressing mutual respect. Mm. Which is the closest those guys will get to it. So, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, just a quick mention of Riley. Yeah, I was about to move on to that. Now, <laughs> let me just explain a bit here. I'd seen a bit of this film because I just kind of wanted to see um, a bit of Gina Carano and a bit of um, Gal Gadot standing side by side. Because what you have here is... The woman, woman who's going on to play Wonder Woman and the woman who I really, really, really wanted to go on to play to Wonder be, Woman. So yeah. this was hard for me to watch because time after time, Giselle needs rescuing. Giselle gets into a scrape she can't get herself out of. She needs help. She needs, you know, she's she's a fragile creature. And that's fine in the context of the Fast and the Furious series. Not all girls can be Letty. Not all girls can be like super self-sufficient. And, you know, she has her limits. 
and that's fine. It's just that in the meta context, she's standing next to a woman who is more than capable of doing absolutely everything on her own. Yeah, she is stood next to the legitimate hardest member of yeah. the cast. Seriously, she could have kicked the asses of anyone in that cast apart from uh, Joe Taslim, the uh, guy who played Jar. Uh, he yep. was Jaka from the raid. He is also a double hard bastard. So if you ever got to see those two fighting, that would have been fucking incredible. Um, but you didn't. But it doesn't matter because up until the point Gina Carano uh, was sort of did the 24 eyes and ah, ha, it was me all along. I was so in the Riley camp and I was like, yeah, I'm really hoping for more Riley and I hope she gets to do some more awesome stuff. Oh, fuck. She's a baddie. I didn't but- actually see that one coming. No, that was, that was that was really good. Me and she turns up and goes, hit the floor. I caught this guy um, bra- uh, uh, disabling the perimeter fence. I, now, when you watch it a second time, she's actually acting very carefully to show little nods and little tweaks to show that Riley's thinking other things while things are going on. Uh, there's a, a point where um, she hands a gun to I think it's Roman or someone else earlier but she there's a slight sort of uh, moment in her eyes because she's a little bit worried that Shaw's going to get shot possibly with that gun she just gave out and there's more going on with uh, Gina Carano than you would expect because her delivery is a little flat because she's not really an actress she's an MMA fighter but what she's really really good at is the sort of stuff that she would be so natural at as Wonder Woman that it's actually kind of painful for me that we live in a world where lovely, beautiful, willowy, stick thin, not at all talented at fighting or really powerful delivery, but lovely nonetheless, Gal Gadot gets to be Wonder Woman and standing right next to her is the woman for the job. Yeah, I'm actually completely 100% with you. I I wanted Gina Carano to be Wonder Woman because I thought she would be Excellent. And let's face it, she would also, again, be the hardest member of the cast. Yeah, she could kick Ben Affleck's ass. She could kick uh, Superman's ass. See, so the, she could, I think she could actually kick the real Superman's ass. <laughs> the best bit is, the, 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 you know, I, I said this when they, they cast Gal Gadot, and I like her in these films. She's not great, but she's not offensive. Yeah. And um, well, There was that bit in Five where she's like, I guess I can use my other abilities and she just drops her clothes and just goes and wiggles her bottom at that guy and I was just like oh right okay so you need rescuing but at least you've got a bikini I I have to call that do you know how hard it is to get fingerprints off fabric yeah that's the, yeah. yeah I think I They'd swear was better off taking them off her ass seriously just get him to put his hand on your thigh and take that was what that was for I completely missed yeah. that she was getting think- fingerprints yeah, yeah no but... she was getting fingerprints oh. couldn't have just done the glass trick yeah, no. that would have been easy, but no. no. As things turned out, by the end, when Giselle dies in a heroic fashion, suddenly that got to me because of what Giselle meant to uh, Han and what Giselle meant to the rest of them and what they meant to her, that she would do that for them and for him. And suddenly I thought, maybe I will care about her as Wonder Woman. But I remain cautiously optimistic but it's like ninety percent caution, ten percent optimism. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be. I'll, I will give her a fair shake. I'm not going to dismiss her out of hand. I just still say, were you ca- were you looking at the Fast and Furious? I'm pointed by accident at the wrong woman. <laughs> Although I will say, my favorite. You know how the last film, I was so excited to see The Rock and, yeah. and Vin throw down. This one was all about seeing Michelle Rodriguez and, and Gina Carano throw down. Cause, that, oh that my god! Both of them. Subway. Oh my. god. God, that was amazing. Can I just say, it was a f- two women fighting that was violent, brutal, 
and not girly. Yeah. It was that's one bit, bit of biting in it, which made logical sense. Yeah. It's two women fighting. It's not two women executing very carefully choreographed... Well, obviously, they're very carefully choreographed moves, but effectively, it's usually dance moves. The end of... Uh, do you remember the end fight at the end of Die Another Day with um, uh, Rosamund Pike and uh, Halle Berry? That. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This is brute. This yeah. the, the bit that always makes me wince is they throw each other down the stairs and is it the barrier they hit and it's just oh it, Michelle Rodriguez dog pot well just dives on uh, sorry not not even Letty at this point it's just Michelle Rodriguez that my favorite single like couple of frames is when after Letty's been nearly handcuffed she pulls herself back to her feet and puts the handcuffs around her wrist and uh, a hand a, to weaponize it yeah. and then they both square off against each other but the camera's so close that it's it's very intimate and very kind of okay let's see how this one turns out and because obviously Carano really could kick her ass they make uh, this is in the extras they make her side of the fight all about technique and Letty's all about survival so yeah. it's there's there's two things going on and the fight choreographer really approached these things from a point of view of what's this fight about it's not just two people going at it so when uh, Roman and uh, Han are trying to take down Jar that's two guys completely outmatched and realising that over the, the course of a few seconds of oh my god this guy's gonna kill us yeah and that, and it's beautifully intercut with the fight between Michelle Rodriguez and, yeah. and Gina Grant, and it they both work well because they're both expressing different things. Like you said, it is Han and Roman coming to realization: hmm. oh shit, we're in trouble, yeah. and they get their asses kicked. And you 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 see that fight for survival from Letty against Riley. I've uh, ordered In the Blood, the uh, the third um, major Gina Carano movie experience. I will let you folks know on the podcast. In fact, by the time you hear this, I can tell you right now if it was any good or not. It's all right. But either way, see Haywire if you haven't already. Apparently that she's really stop. good in that as well. Have you not seen that? I have not seen oh, that. It's one, I was, it's one I've been meaning to get around to watching. It's better than the fourth Bourne film by far. Okay, I, I really like it. And Fastbender's in it, folks. If you folks, if you, if you didn't have enough reason to watch it, Fastbender and Carano, and they go at it at one point. J- just to give you also hope, and this is a fight I hope to see in real life, let alone in a film. Um, Ronda Rousey's not too bad either. Yeah, Ronda Rousey's in the next one. They're re- they're really recruiting from the MMA set. She's uh, another female MMA fighter, and uh, she's she's a highlight in the Expendables. She is really good. They seem to be doing a better job than the Expendables of putting out, you know, just like cobbling together action stars in in a in a really in a yeah. way that makes you really want. Now, to just I don't know if this is true, but I heard the rumor that uh, I think it's Kurt Russell's in Seven. He, he is in Seven, yeah, apparently. He turned down the Expendables to do for Fast Furious. Cool, but they did get Harrison Ford, so yeah. Sorry, I said consume there. I mean, just eat as much as possible. I, I'm now kind of. I really want to see seven and I don't know why it's taken me this long to, to adopt this series. I think four let me down so hard. It let me down. I expect this film series to be good. I think two, I was like, eh, three, I was eh at the time Four, uh, so I saw no reason to see five and six. I, yeah, I think the, the, when you hear the fast and the furious, you think of a certain type of film and they, as they go on, they book that trend because this is a really good film. Mm. Even although, for the record, because I know someone's going to point this out, how long was that runway? 
Apparently, it was about 16 miles, the math 16 says. 16 miles just went on. I always think, figured that they were turning round and round, but of course, they never turned, so no. I think the trouble with the way that the end sequence is... Sh- I don't know if you want to do that now or when we get to no, it. No, 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 not yet. There's uh, there's more stuff to go. Let's to. do the more stuff. Yeah. yeah. Right. I've got a question. How come they can't make a Fast and the Furious video game worth a damn? Uh, Everything about this suggests that a video game could come out of it, but... I'm aware of two, and they're both god-awful. If you look at YouTube footage of the most recent one, it looks like a PlayStation 1 game. It's fucking terrible. So yep. we te- we kind of have to go to other game series to get fi- well, to be fair. To be way. fair, if you actually want a decent Fast and Furious experience uh, as mm-hmm. a video game, Need for Speed Undercover. Need for Speed Undercover. It's so it's old, Need for Speed old. Rivals. No, no, no. We're talking. This is back in PlayStation and Xbox. No, it's got to be new. I can't. I can't do SD anymore. Come on. Uh, uh, I can't give you one closer than that. Um, Possibly the first and better most wanted. Need for Speed most what? Which is hard to find now. Maybe I'm having a look at my collection, but no, that's the one I'm actually looking at. Um, yeah, for in terms of what what to, what to get. Uh, yeah, folks, if you want to recommend at home video game type experiences, I've been playing um, Grid recently for the drifting and uh, racing experience. That's actually excellent. Which I'm uh, now playing because of you. <laughs> sorry, uh, Midnight Club Los Angeles. I've no, tough. No, no, it's dull. Yeah. GTA 5 actually has a, a hell of a lot of enjoyable experiences which would not be out of place in a uh, the escalating Fast and Furious scenarios. The problem with GTA 5 is detestable characters. You're supposed to like them. Imagine a GTA game where you cared about and liked the characters as much as these guys. Is it that hard? Evidently, yes. Why does it always have to be this nihilistic, sneering miserable type game. I mean, basically cookie, cookie, psychotic characters, cookie cutter style heroes, uh, video game wise. Yeah. I mean, maybe it'd be difficult to sort of maintain that narrative. If you can then also go out in between missions and shotgun people in the street. Yeah. But maybe they could just present you with decent people and then have those, those deaths that you, um, uh, perform, start to slowly play into... If, if you kill people... There's <laughs> do like you realise what you're describing? An invisible death bar. Do, Is that Fable 2? Do, do you know what game you're describing? Characters where you feel the sad at their deaths. It's freaking Mass Effect. Yeah. Speaking of which, there's a Mass Effect moment at the end of this film. Okay. So video... Yeah. For some reason, video games, they, they can't get it off the ground. And I'm kind of amazed. It's possible just because they take so long to make the games that by the time they've made them two fast and furious films have come out (laughs) there was it was one every two years for two and then there was one every three years for two and now it's back to one every two years again oh good grief yeah but character wise family wise it's mass effect isn't it yeah you build that family yeah Yeah. so so when the deaths of certain characters happen you feel that yeah stabs at you also, another thing um, that this has that Mass Effect had, um, and in that's terms phrase of, indeed, folks, coming from us. 
Yes. Hell yes. Um, but in terms of uh, presentation of female characters in a traditionally masculine environment, this is how you do it right. And I said one of the things I really liked about the way um, the female characters were presented in the first one, even though it wasn't perfect, it was very far from perfect, but there were two of them and they had very different characters. It wasn't a case of here is the token chick, she is here for you to look at, she is also here for you to appreciate that this is what girls are like. And that woman has to kind of embody absolutely every positive quality that a woman has, uh, a woman could possibly possess or embody all the negative qualities that a woman could possibly possess. How many females female characters are there in this there's letty there's mia i've got to five and a giselle giselle um shaw's blonde sidekick whose name i can't remember evil evil flip car driver number two evil flip car driver number two yeah and uh elena so six yeah elena was actually very different and they're on a they're kind of on a scale of some of them can kick Massive amounts of ass, Gina Carano. I'm looking at you. Yeah. Some of them are basically very um, capable baby carriers. Super, yeah, yeah, walking womb. Yeah, but it, but it, there's a scale, and they have you know they have different ways of looking at things. They have different ways of reacting to things, and they actually do a little bit of interacting with each other in this one, which is nice. Oh, Vech uh, was the name of the uh, the blonde lady. Ah, Vech. Played by Car- Clara Pige. Um, and Elena, I have forgot to mention in five, because I had forgotten this scene, has a really great intense scene with Dom where, uh, she, it, it's the most grown up scene in five. And I think this is where I started to think, right, five and six, they were trying to grow up with four, but they've now started to really grow up. They've started to realize what's important when you get to this age. Uh, if anything, it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, they're maturing. Uh, what the hell happens? They're in that room, and it's when he confronts her, and the cross is there. Oh, it's about the. It's where he, he says he, he, she understands his pain at the loss of Letty because yeah. she lost her husband. It's all about it's it's about the emotions that they're feeling because they've both lost that special person. To them. Yeah, and that's carried through when he gets the photograph of Letty, and she sees what he's looking at, and she basically says to him. If it was my husband, nothing would keep me away from going to find out if he was still alive. Couple of things before we move on to the finale. Um, the scene where they go to prison, uh, again, it felt like the Winter Soldier where Brian's in there in that incredibly close quarters uh, fight. This is the uh, fight choreographer for Taken, uh, so he knows his stuff. And again, he was the guy who was making it about something. I actually I looked him up because I think, is this the fight choreographer for the Winter Soldier? But no. And where he's talking with Braga, I almost felt like Braga was just playing his role and that when he started getting stabbed in the leg repeatedly, almost like he was powerless to um, to change the situation. That in something in a way that he can't just give up Shaw, not directly. And it's almost like he was, a, well, he was definitely afraid of him. He is, because uh, yeah. he actually says he worked for Shaw. It wasn't sure what Shaw worked for him. Yeah. He worked for Shaw. A lot of this is uh, retrospectively yeah. fixing for a little bit, I think. Yes, but uh, but yeah, that's a that's a powerful moment, and and again, uh, Paul Walker gets to do some uh, some excellent intense acting without going over the top. It's not he's now way beyond Keanu Reeves in Point Break, something of a, a triumph to go out on. I think mm. it's um it's more than he he seemed to have potential for back when he was younger. So yeah. 
Oh, the bit where they, they drive through London in the actual race meet, and they drive through Piccadilly Circus and it's empty, except, you know, people are off the street. You know when people say it's like Piccadilly Circus out there? Yeah. That's for a reason. Yeah. Piccadilly think, Circus is the most jam-packed place of traffic in the world. To be fair, I swear that scene is meant to evoke uh, Shibuya Square. The, the scene in Tokyo Drift where they do exactly that, only yeah. it's full of people. Yeah, oh, very yeah. definitely, yeah. It, it, it's evocative of that, and it, it's good, but yeah, it's like... London is not that freaking empty of traffic. Well, they, they had to do some of the um, uh, the chase scenes in Glasgow because at one point they pull up outside Glasgow, Glasgow Airport, Airport which is in London, by the way. This <laughs> is the Gherkin, don't you? Know? Yeah, I, we, we know all airports in England, are, in uh, the UK, are called London something, but it, that's not really the case. Mm. Uh, the, apparently, they were going to do the tank chase in London as well, and then the London they said City no. said. The what? A tank? No. Can't blame them on that one, though. Yeah. Well, yeah, those roads take some hammering. A tank would probably kill them. To be fair, it does mean it does make more sense why the cars are coloured coloured as well. Actually, speaking of which, favourite cars in six, and there's a lot to choose from this time. Oh, damn, that one's really hard. Mm-hmm. I'll give you mine. Go on, then. Ah, it's the Dodge Daytona. The, uh, the red one that uh, Dom drives. Oh, the, with the, the hilariously funny um, spoiler. Enormous spoiler. Yeah, uh, apparently uh, that one was uh, introduced in the late 60s. It, uh, it, for, um, it was made specifically by Dodge for NASCAR, uh, and it won the following year. And then it was retired and uh, taken off the streets and outlawed because it was just too fucking fast and just too fucking dangerous. It's Dom. Yep. I'm going to be British about this. It's too fast and furious. <laughs> I'm actually going to be very British about this because my soft spot goes to... <laughs> oh, is it Letty's car? It. Oh, it's the 1970 Ford Escort Mark One. Oh, of course. The, is that the one that Brian drives? That's the blue one that Brian drives. I was wondering uh, how the hell did what did they put under the hood on that one to make it keep up with the uh, the, the white Mustang? Uh, it's an RS engine, so I think I think that's the precursor to the Cosworth engine. Yeah, it look it's, it's this sort of gorgeous old sort of seventies rally car. Yes, that's why I like it. I've always yeah. got a soft. I'm either got a soft spot for muscle cars because it's not something you see in the UK a lot. Yeah. Or that sort of old school looking rally car, which I do love. Uh, there's also the Jensen Interceptor, which is uh, uh, something that um, was, uh, it's the one that Letty drives. It's that sort of bullet grey one. Okay, Neil, this means we get to talk about stunts for about 20 minutes. <laughs> Actually, I was just saying, I'm scrolling through the list of cars and you've mm. got like BMWs, Aston Martin Vanquish. Uh, oh yeah, that, I, I, that that was Shaw's car, wasn't it? I was like, yeah, the Dodge Ooh. Charge SR, the Flip car, da da da. You know what really stands out to me on this list? The Vauxhall Vectra Mark II and Astra Mark V. Vauxhall <laughs> Vectra. It's the police cars. Furious. Get flipped. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just of course. Made, just made me laugh. So what you need is the hot fuzz Mitsubishi police car at the end. Or, actually, it's a, you know, it's a Subaru. It's a Subaru, yeah. yeah. Which is obviously, that's a reference to Fast and Furious. The Furious, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Some kids are playing about in the bins. Bring the noise. <laughs> um, okay, so the stunts. Oh, it's, yes, yes. It's, it's very significant that um, 
that they make us care about the characters because suddenly the stunts take on all new levels of like in Transformers didn't care wanted actively wanted Sam to go under the wheels of another car just so he'd be away from the film Uh, but in this um, there were moments where uh, like basically when Dom leaps up to try and catch Letty my heart was in my throat I was like (gasps) okay it was incredible I have one problem with this with the stunts in this film because they are all great and they, they make the are rest enhanced. Of the films look bad. Well, no, they're enhanced with CGI. They've done it right. The majority of it's practical, so it looks fantastic. There's weight, there's physicality too, and they look awesome. My problem is in the first interaction with Shaw's team, where they're driving the BMWs mm. and they use the chip gun. To oh yeah. Hack them. And you see both Tej and Roman crash in quite spectacular fashion, yeah. not be hurt, and that bugs me because later on, obviously these stunts do have physical impact upon the characters but that opening set where they you know for example uh roman's bmw spun out and crashes uh, through a building flipping and rolling and they just make a joke about him having a big forehead he's not really yeah. caught, he's not hurt but they should have been hurt because that that scene yeah they're not actually taken out but just like to raise the tension and make you feel like they should have got they got their ass kicked but they should have physically they should look like they've had their ass kicked as well too just impress upon us how dangerous shaw's team are yeah which that's the one thing that bugs me if if they've been i'm not talking about broken arms like or anything but you know cuts and bruises uh maybe uh some a mild concussion just something to make you care and worry a bit okay i'll give you that that's that is probably my only one problem with the set of stunts really mm. my other thing is not particularly with the stunts but more with the rating and how it's caused films to be we talked earlier about the tank scene i watched that thing about the pg-13 that you tweeted the other day yeah and how violent it is when you realize that yes in some scenes people are shown fleeing the cars and the tank rolling over them yeah there's other scenes where these cars are directly run over i'm sorry don't care Thrashing, what you're in squashing you crushed killed and but there's no blood there's no nothing so it's really weird because i think now when you think about it pg-13 films are incredibly violent now if you actually sit and think there's about a lot them. of off-camera death toll yes uh yeah. transformers majorly guilty of this avengers very guilty of this as well avengers is different because they're desperately trying to prevent it they uh, man are of, yeah. man of steel is the one that bugs people because he's not trying to prevent, to prevent it he's it. too interested in punching yeah but it's just, a, again, it's just when you realise what's happening is very, the body count on it, which almost seems out of character for sure. He's very, he's meant to be very precise, but all of a sudden he becomes, as you said, the Joker. A cackling Bond villain, mm. if, uh, or the Joker at best. Yeah. There were, there were things they could have done in this film to make sure, say, if they'd made him angry that he'd killed people and then someone had come to him and say, okay, you killed like six people when you were trampling them there, I can understand why that would break you up. And he'd, he'd simply respond, no, uh, it's imprecise. I didn't want to have this affect their families and affect them. Not Almost like he can't really feel compassion for the people, but he's angry at the mess it's caused. Either that or... That would have been an interesting trait. Or at least gone with the typical... The, the, at least the, what would have been the normal... Rate. He's been driven to this by Dom constantly getting in the way and interfering and taking, trying to take what's his. Mm. So, but aside from that, it just, that just bugged me. Yeah. Although the bit where he gets the tank and basically ludicrous shits himself. Yeah. It's so, sp- it's, that's what you do. He's got a tank. And then Roman's like, 
No one's said anything about a tank. The the bit where um at the beginning uh, when he's they're chasing the flip car and the rock leaps out of the Gurkha over a bridge down onto a car that's doing about 100 miles an hour I actually said out loud you are fucking crazy it just looks so spectacular seeing that and then he tops it at the end of the film yeah but yeah the stunt work is great and I want to mention this now because I'm not sure where else it would fit in colours car colours yeah um, there's a there's a, a brief moment between Han and Dom where he's asking him about the muscle car he goes I like the colour you actually pay attention, that's the colour of the car, car Hans driving in yeah. Tokyo Drift. It's the orange car. Yeah. And the red, white and blue cars. Everyone goes straight away for a nod. Oh, it's the American flag, isn't it? Red, white and blue. Yeah, what other famous movie cars are red, white and blue? Italian, Italian job? job. Yeah. The original, not the shitty remake. Even the new in the remake, the I know, but same I, colour. Let's and do I, the whole I Neil like... thing of saying the remake doesn't exist. <laughs> actually, Neil likes the Italian job remake. Oh. It's not great, but I, I enjoy it. It's got Jason Statham in. Ian Shaw? <laughs> That's True. his name, apparently, in this. Yeah. There were times when uh, uh, Sharon was saying maybe that they should basically imply this takes place in the same universe as Point Break. Like, um, you know, Johnny Utah actually turns up and that same thing happened. Or, or just another film, uh, like, I don't know, they could have a Bad Boys crossover. Unfortunately, the, the characters in Bad Boys are fucking sociopaths, so it wouldn't quite gel. But I, I'm waiting for a film series to do this, where they uh, they just go, right, you know what? See, At Marvel Cinematic Universe, suddenly we exist in the same universe. Do you know what universe is perfect to cross over with this film? And this irritates me because they've slightly messed this up. Oh, yeah. Here's another franchise of films that involve cars and someone driving them really well that I really like. It's called The Transporter. Oh, uh, yeah. That would have been perfect. Unfortunately, it looks like uh, Jason Statham will be playing the villain in the next film. But if his character of the Transporter turned up, that would have been interesting to actually have those two universes. That actually would. Because I... not only that, those two universes crossing over make sense. Yeah. I suppose they could still have Nicolas Cage turn up and help them steal cars. <laughs> <laughs> still like that film, but... It's not, not a franchise. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, the transport would make sense. But hmm. It does happen very occasionally. I think I mentioned this before. Uh, in uh, Jackie Brown, uh, you, and, you get uh, Ray Nicolette and Out of Sight, uh, also Ray Nicolette. But they're both written as a character by Elmore Leonard. Um, so that does have, uh, that does make sense. The Limey is a technical sequel to Poor Cow, uh, a uh, film Terrence Stamp did uh, many decades ago. Um, but Real, uh, let's see. Oh, hang on. Isn't there a bit where um, Jason Statham turns up in uh, Collateral? And I said, is he the transporter in Collateral in this? Is he Chev Chelios in that? No, that's Crank. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, yeah, so what's his name in the transporter? I've forgotten. <laughs> the transporter. Interesting same fight choreographer as... Uh, um, Fast and Furious 6 that's good because the, 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 the oil fight in the first transport film is brilliant yeah if you like an oiled up Jason Statham it certainly is Frank I won't say no Martin the transporter Frank, maybe we should see the transporter uh, what, what's transporters 2 and 3 like 2's a bit of a naff one oh, okay. I quite like 3 though 3's okay. a bit more interesting 
Although it does lead to the great meme and the line of, I am not the gay. No, I'm not the gay. Um, <laughs> we've straight off a point here. But yeah, as we said, uh, Sharon, um, while you were away uh, for a bit there, uh, they get you to care about the characters so that when the stunts happen, your heart's in your throat. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And at one point, your heart breaks. Yeah, the we can move to the plane chase here. And I think Sharon, you were said slightly before it happened, you know, I think we might lose her here simply because it ties in with um, the creeping inexorable fate of Han. Mm. Uh, to the point where um, when it happened and he fell, uh, he basically fell into this... Um, Zen-like state. No, uh, what is it? Shock. Shock and depression, basically. Uh, and understandably so. That adds a whole new spin on Tokyo Drift, which is going to make it um, hard to see now. But, you know, I, I suppose it'll make it better as well, because the more pain is in there to, to go against, uh, up against the, um, the fun of that film, the more balanced it'll be. Uh, but... One thing they held off on doing in the uh, end credit sequence, and I wondered if they might do this, is when Han's in the car upside down and it's burning and uh, he's about to die, a, a look of acceptance on his face, something which suggested that dying in panic and pain wasn't necessarily going on at that stage, that he was not necessarily a man looking for a way out, but that there would be a peace from it because he seemed to really, as uh, Roman uh, noted, he seemed to have really fallen for um, Giselle and mm. so would have felt incomplete for many months after that. Mm. Well, they'd reached the point where they were basically talking about going to Tokyo and staying there together. And the fact that this, this whole section, like I said, it, I, I didn't see how she could come out of it. Um, and I thought the way that they handled her death was actually really quite impressive because it was very brief. There was no, um, you know, you don't get the... the Lisa got to hold her one last time. in the time. hero's arms or, yeah. or any of that. It was sudden and it was abrupt and it happened right in the middle of when he's already uh, mm. um, trying not to get killed himself. Um, and, and it was her choice. That's a very significant yes, thing. Yes, it was a very specific choice on her part um, in order to save him. But I, I really... Um, thought the way that you've got kind of this victory moment when Dom emerges from the uh, the wreckage of the plane and everybody's uh, happy that that he's there that this you know that their family is still together the centerpiece of it is still there and then Han walks in from the side and it's Mia that realizes first what's happened but just the way Sung Kang sold that oh my god like you say total heartbreak yeah it's an it, it was an amazing moment and i i when it cut to the the tail end of the uh, the chase scene from tokyo drift and i was almost angry at them for making me sit through that again because sorry 
there was a part of me that thought, if they're putting this on again, is he going to get out? And then he didn't, and it just made it that much worse. Yeah. And that was the point at which I... Oh, God, I I was amazed that I had had that reaction to the end of that franchise. It was just utterly astounding. Yeah, it's... uh, It's something... The worst thing is because because Han is in 3, and 3 was made before this, you know where it's going. And I I was kind of going... When Giselle's lost, I was going, do another one, do another one, because you can't do it. You can't do it. And then it happens, and it cuts to Tokyo, and I just turned to my, my, me and my current housemate at the time were there, and we both looked at each other like, shit. And it was just that we don't want to see this. We know what's going to happen. And it is... They, it's a combo of a gut punch to you. Yeah. Because you feel these characters... They've just literally pulled a Antonov jet plane out of the sky... You feel like these characters are invincible, but there has to be that moment where you realise that they're not. I, yeah. They could have ended that in uh, one of three ways. Uh, one would have been, as I said, the uh, note of acceptance, which would have been an oddly um, melancholy way to end that one. Uh, but uh, and, and then, like... <laughs> not necessarily... Yeah, actually, not... not un-Zen-like in a, a sense of understanding that life and death were not necessarily opposites hmm. um, as so much as that, that death is part of life. And, and Han's been going on this whole death is an eventuality thing for so many films now that it's just a case of it finally catching up with him. Uh, or they could have done... Um, when, I, when the car first started moving, I was thinking, has Giselle survived and she's going to pull him out of the wreckage on the other side and then Sean's going to come in and see the car explode, but he won't see the fact that Han scurries off for a new life with Giselle, which would have been such a Casablanca, the good ending moment. Yeah. I'm really glad they didn't do that because that would have robbed us of two moments of um, bittersweet loss. I was half expecting there to be some uh, some way of showing that basically Giselle was the last thing he saw, and that he, yeah. even just a flash of her, uh, memory of her. Yeah, exactly. Just j- almost like not a, necessarily a, an angel, not necessarily a ghost that no, it just suddenly no, changed the genre. But a memory, just the you know the idea that um, this is all about family. This is all about people holding together, and sometimes the person that you love and the person that you want to be your family that much, you would follow them. Mm. But it is about family and that's why what happens happens because it's, it all refers back to a line that Dom said in this confrontation with Shaw. Didn't your brother tell you not to threaten another man's family? Yeah. And then because of Dom killing Shaw... Ian Shaw now has a vendetta against Dom, so it's blood for blood and by the gallon. Um, so, yeah, this is maybe a, 
a midpoint, I suppose, between uh, what would have been a um, uh, a sobering moment of uh, uh, every, every living creature on this earth dies alone, but not necessarily alone. And uh, the everything was all right. What you thought was he was dead, he's actually alive and they're able to come back for the sequel. So she. Actually, actually I think about it. I just realized they triple <laughs> gut punch you. You get the gut punch of Giselle. Yep. They fake you out with the. This is where the franchise could end. Happy ending. Yeah. Barbecue family scene. Look, and then they go no more, and this is. And then they let they let you. You know, I realized they let you have that beat, and then you see the cars in Tokyo. Yeah. And then anyone that loves this franchise knows what's coming and does not want it. So it's almost like if Seven sucks, you just turn off immediately before. <laughs> that is jump. my big worry. This yeah. Because this one has so much going for it. Yeah. Seven actually has quite a lot to live up to, and we have, and it's it's got a lot of pressure on it. It has before events. It has the the impact of a new guy taking over, and now you add in the fact that this is Paul Walker's last film, and how they could possibly juggle this so that it doesn't feel like. I mean, they managed it. it uh, Ridley Scott did an excellent job in Gladiator with Oliver Reed, mm. so it can be done. But it's but not easy. It's not easy with a, a, a core character. And they've talked about how they will retire him, but not necessarily kill him. But then they they've haven't said anything since then. I think Vin actually outright said, I, we will not kill him. <sighs> because I don't... It would feel insensitive. I, I can actually understand that. I One of the things I said when we were watching it yesterday is it would make more sense for the character to die because there's no other way on earth that Dom would let him go and be elsewhere. Well, that's the thing, because he'd be taking himself out of Dom's family, which is the most important thing. So what is it going to always be him slightly out of shot and they have his brother come up in the background and sort of Dom sort of nods to him and holds up a beer at family gatherings? It's down to writing, isn't it? It's down to how they they choose to go. And again, it is a case of until you see the film and see what they've done, yeah. it's impossible because it's just guesswork. It has worked before. The Crow, which is one of my all-time favourite films, it happened in that. So that, that film was a success and was actually coherent after the nightmare of the actual production. Mm. Um, they could handle it in a way that allows you to... How best to put this? Uh, say goodbye to Walker himself, but be able to feel like Brian goes on. Yes. I think, I hope that's what they aim for, where you can say goodbye to the actor. Mm. And the character is... Not specifically even Brian. Brian, Mia, um, Jack. Yeah. That, so the family that he's become a huge component of. I mean, the only way, the way I think they may end up doing it, depending on how this film pans out, that because this is, in essence, almost a blood feud with, with Ian Shaw, the end of the film is Dom saying, you need to stay out of this life. You can no longer be a part of this life. Look what it's done. Well, that's not a happy ending. That's horrible. <laughs> True, but if it's more of a stay out of what we've been doing kind of thing, you know, no more madcap adventures around Rio with safes. Go somewhere where I don't know uh, where you are, and I will never try to find you. Which, again, could lead into more character growth. To protect him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's not the worst way of doing it, and it would certainly be a hell of a lot better than, here's how we get out of this one, Brian, plastic surgery. (sighs) 
Um, but to end on a high note, because I, I, I wanted to handle that one first, um, what he asks Hobbes for, uh, 1327, being the house, the simple house that he had in the first place and the fresh start, just to go back, back around. That's why this one represents a brilliant ending. Whether it continues or not, whether obviously it's going to continue, but whether you continue to maintain with the films, it closes out this chapter of it, if nothing else. Mm. And, um, it's what I said when we were reviewing one with no knowledge of what was going to happen. This is all Dom's ever wanted barbecues and family. And, uh, it's, it's the kind of, it closes out this chapter and, um, Oh, what's the best way to put this? No, I really have gone blank now. Anyone else want to pick up this torch? <laughs> I need my family to step in at this time. I think you... Oh, you were both together. Thank you both. <laughs> Whether it's to do with um, sort of retrospective seeds or whether it's something that they really did intend from the beginning, I think that that feeling holds very strong. It's at its weakest in two, but it's still there because you do still have this sense of, of Paul and, uh, sorry, Brian and Roman uh, having this history together. But at the end of um, Tokyo Drift, when, um, what's Bow Wow's character (laughs) called? Twink. Twink. When Twink says um, that, there's this guy outside and he wants to see you. He says he knew Han, says Han was family. That's, that to me is the closing of the circle. And I actually think, as somebody said to me when we, when we said we were watching the, the series, somebody asked whether we were going to watch three in chronological, as in release sequence, or whether we were going to save it until the end. And I actually think when we watch this franchise in future – I think we should watch three at the end. Yeah, so do I. I also think that if you watch it for the first time ever, don't. Obviously, this is not going to help people who've already heard us do it the whole way through. But Han becomes a majorly important character because of three. Otherwise, he's just some guy. Yeah, it it is an odd one. uh, Because I think what helps with that is that every time Tokyo is mentioned, you don't want him to go. No. But it's it's kind of like um, I suppose you could watch the Hobbit first. What, what's a good example in this scenario? The only so one I can prequel. think of. Uh, the only one I can think of is actually strange enough because it happened because of this show um, was when we were doing the Mass Effects. Yeah, and I played Mass Effect with my with it only the second time, and seeing everything with that, I know how this ends. Yeah, and yeah. there is some. Uh, especially because of the Citadel DLC, there's some really heartwarming moments. Mm. Liara in the piano springs to my mind. I love that moment. It was beautiful and it broke my heart because I know how it ends. Yeah. All and the people that you're just desperate to spend five more minutes with because you know when they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. It is that. That's why I'm, you know, a lot of that's got to come down to the actor that plays Han as well because he makes that character yeah. so he's so likable and so fun and you know his fate you ultimately you know his fate 
and he still gets you to like and root for that character. Even though technically you should be sat there going, oh, he's safe. He is safe until he gets to Tokyo. Yeah. But you never feel that. And the fact that they throw in the romance with Giselle and then take it away as well, it's mm. But that's the that's the point of that because at that point you know his reasons for going to Tokyo. You know why he went. He had the frame of mind that he did. And I, this was the thing I said to Alex when I watch three now. His actions. I mean, at the time they seemed a little bit. Well, that's a wee bit reckless for somebody who seems to have a pretty good head on his shoulders and know what he's doing. But I'm going to be watching that whole thing thinking he's just a walking suicide. Uh, when we were talking about Tokyo Drift uh, last time, I, I, when you hadn't seen these, I said his reasons, he's acting the way he is. Mm, but thank you so much for not letting any of that slip because it, I mean, I'm I not, I don't think it would even necessarily not just for us, but for the audience hugely. But honestly, the, the, the effect these last, um, the last two films had on me was just massive. Mm. I suppose I'm going to have to spoil it a little bit by telling people that they should really watch all of these especially if they're going to watch any, just watch six, uh, one, six, and three. Yeah, you could go there. You know, after you've enjoyed them, you'll want to see five, four, so five, two, and four. I think the biggest struggle people will have are probably the first and the fourth film. One, if you, if you sit and watch a film that's of its time and you struggle to get into it, you may struggle there for just being dull metal grey I think one does work on its own as a piece from its time it's uh, whether it makes you want to carry on yeah yeah I, for a lot of people who like myself my housemate and quite a few people who do like this franchise we started that we went to the pictures and saw this film yeah. so oddly we I suppose that's another thing that why I'm attached to this franchise I grew up with I literally grew up with this franchise yeah we were just idiot that's why you know it helps that there's this tone shift throughout we were idiot kids when it first came out and now mm. we've got you know in many cases families of our own so it's 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 great to see a movie series change with us it's nice to see that a franchise can do that after seeing so many franchises that don't yeah and it can't there's no parallel with um the horror movie franchises like Halloween <laughs> and uh, uh, no, they're a prime example of a franchise that doesn't. They are yeah, just do the same. Well, thing this is them. like the antithesis of that. There is no sense throughout this of let's just keep doing the same thing over and over again because it makes money. Mm. They seem to go in with the principle: if we tell a good enough story, people will come. Yeah, and they've told good enough stories. I think they've also they realised that. Literally, the heart of the story is about the heart, the family, the growth and the interactions. And that's what people... That's probably why 4 I don't like as much, because it seems to be lacking that. Mm. It's, it's because it's people in search of a family now. Now it makes uh, it makes sense to, to sort of look back at it retroactively and go that they, they weren't there yet. They didn't realise their priorities. They were in this mid twenties malaise of feeling like well, it's it's depression. That whole film is is depression and anger. And um, it's nice to know that there there is demonstrably a way out of that if you keep the right people around you. And also the idea that they're that as a group they welcome people in and they they seek to expand their family by including people and 
I'm I'm still torn about the moment at the uh, towards the end of six when um, he says goodbye to Elena because he he says to her, you know, you don't have to go, and she basically says, yes, I do. This and is I who was, you are. This, this is who is, I am. Yeah, she points to her badge. But I was sat there thinking, she really doesn't. <laughs> She doesn't. There's what, fresh chicken right there's, there, there's, and the rock leaves room. without you eating look. so much as a biscuit. Oh, you trust me. You know, you know, Hobbs did not leave without taking a chicken. Yeah. Well, no, indeed. an entire chicken. <laughs> yeah, an entire damn roast chicken. But yeah, that bowl of chili. That I'll have some of that. All of that. If you look how big that. Can you smell is. what the rock is cooking? And it was me, the wrestling fan. <laughs> Carry on, sir. If you look at how big that family is and how much room they have for people, I think she could have found a place there. I think, and it still, made me sad that she went. I, I, I think, and that's how I, I. It's not how the film, not how the film sets up. But I choose to see that end sequence as, yeah, that's the main family. But there's this little bit of an extended family that is Elena and Hobbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, yeah, yeah, of course, Hobbs so. is going to be back. So. Yeah, they're kind of a satellite family. They'll they'll be at the barbecue at some point. They're, they're the, I almost want to say they're the black sheep of the family. They're the, they're the good guys. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? They're they the do what you don't ones. talk about at parties. <laughs> but the, but it, it feels, even though that the way it ends with the grudging respect between Dom and Hobbs, and it feels like, you know what? If Dom needed him, if he made that call, Hobbs would come. Yeah. Or the other way around, if Hobbs made a call and said, look, I need... In essence, that's what this film is, him making that call. But you believe that now, if Hobbs made a call and said, hey, I need your help, they would come. Yeah. (laughs) The big villain in this one is actually not going to be Jason Statham. He's a red herring. It's Leon from the first one. He's like, oh, you all forgot about me. Didn't want to bring me to your barbecue. Well, guess what? It's the day of Leon. (laughs) The the one that everyone forgets. Yeah. Please don't screw up, Seven, because you've hit such a wonderful high note with Six. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll we'll talk about it. When it happens, we will be there. We're following this like like a fucking you know, a bloodhound from now on. We'll be Hobbs to this series. <laughs> Chase <laughs> it all over the world. We have our thunderpants. And if it sucks, we'll tell you it sucks, folks. And if it's great, we'll tell you if it's great. Oh, trust me. If it sucks, I will give out on that. Okay. Look forward to it. That'll be out in April of next year, just before Avengers 2. Okay. Um, okay, so we're going to end on uh, some music which was actually only played for a little bit in the uh, film. It's this sort of uh, 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 it's the ludicrous song that actually references back to Actor Fool from um, uh, Too Fast, Too Furious, and uh, it's it's an awful. If you listen to the lyrics, there's an awful song about uh, wanting to get party and get wasted every night because that's being alive. But um, the actual tone of it is lovely, and the video is lovely. Neil, thank you so much for pushing for this one and for for loving this series so much that I couldn't not do this. Trust me, after going through Transformers and stuff, it's nice to say, hey, look, this is this franchise that, you know, you might be dismissive of because you Mm. just see the cars and stuff and there's actually more to it. It's nice to actually share that and say, it's actually quite good. They got there in the end. Yeah. They got from being good to being great. So, thank you again to Sharon for 
bearing with us as well, because um, I could tell I was testing you with a couple of these earlier ones. Um, no, not really. I mean, I, I, ultimately, it's all pieced together really impressively. And like I said, I suspect that if I go back and watch two and four again, um, I will get more out of them because of what's come afterwards. Okay. Um, this is Rest of My Life by Ludacris featuring Usher. Uh, I have been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. Ride or die. We ride together. And neural, neural handshake, handshake complete. If you live for something, you're not alone, my friend. So fill up your cup and lift your lighter, a toast to life. Luke, they say what don't kill me can make me stronger. So two drinks a night should help me live longer. I blow some smoke just to give my lungs a test. Cause why tiptoe through life to arrive safely at death? I'm on a journey, yeah, I'm on a road. Sometimes gotta close my eyes just to open my soul. And tonight is the night I got a feeling that I'm about to act a fool. So if you go fix some drinks, me and Ursula about to break some rules. Cause I feel inner peace 
when I'm out of my mind And you can call me crazy, but I like to roll the dice So I'm willing to bet that I'ma be crazy for the rest of my life